passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. We are live. It is John Pollock and waiting here with Rewinded Dynamite as we are going to be going through the latest drama involving AEW talent. How are you, Way? Um, I'm very well, John. I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, it feels like this is uh, becoming almost like a weekly, you know. Um, it's, a, it's a common occurrence. <laughs> this is what happened outside of the show. Um that will definitely, you know, make more headlines and unfortunately what occurred on what I thought was a very good show. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about from Dynamite, but obviously the uh, the prevailing story will be uh, the one involving Sammy Guevara and Andrade that um, I I cannot say I'm stunned that we are sitting here discussing this way. In, in some ways I am, but in others, I mean, this was largely telegraphed over the last couple of days to the point of... Like basically saying, well, I'll see you on Wednesday. And in in many ways, it blows my mind that it got to this point when it was so outlined by these two. And we'll do a whole uh, recap of, of the story. But my my major takeaway, this this one was very preventable. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, should, should we get into it now or do you want to I wait think let's start off the, the top with that. We, we okay. will get into the rest afterward. But, you know, on, on Monday, I had gotten some highlights of the Andrade interview that he had done uh, with Mas Lucha. Um, but because the interview had been in Spanish and I uh, sometimes things are lost in translation or, or context, uh, I didn't want to necessarily focus too much on it Monday because I didn't have a time to really go into it. But on, on Tuesday, like you could certainly see what the uh, the context was. You know, speaking a lot about, about you know, his relationship with uh, AAA and uh, other problems. But I guess the, the major uh, story was discussing an incident with Sammy Guevara that occurred after they had had a match. And Sammy Guevara allegedly complained to him in the locker room afterwards that he hit him too hard. And Andrade named Sammy and... Quickly afterwards, uh, you saw Sammy put out kind of this not so veiled tweet. Um, what did he call him? Like a, a favor hire and calling him a bitch. And th- it went back and forth, but you can see uh, some of the highlights here. Um, Andrade stating, I said it to your face. If you had a problem with me and you said nothing, I won't beat your ass because I'm a professional. Don't be scared. When I say something, I name names and I'm not scared to get fired. 
Guevara quote tweeted that you didn't say shit to me, you liar. But here's some truth. You ungrateful prick. You would be jobless if it wasn't for your dad in law. And are you really mad at me or mad at yourself for failing to get over for a second time? Just go back to WWE like we all know you want to and fuck off. And it ended with Andrade. Okay, I'm a liar. See you on Wednesday. I'll tell you to your face again. And nothing you say that you do not have any problem. And that is how that ended. So how these two got into close proximity enough on Wednesday is mind-boggling, given this is the premise of their week and what was leading up to this. So, you know, within uh, an, less than an hour before Dynamite, we see Tony Khan tweet out that the match for Rampage between Preston Vance and Andrade, the mask versus Andrade's AEW career, is now off. And in its place will be the Dark Order challenging Death Triangle for the trios titles. And certainly people were at least uh, assuming some some fallout of this incident has occurred where Andrade is now off this show on Friday. Uh, but then, uh, just as Dynamite was about to go live, TMZ Sports uh, reported that Sammy Guevara and Andrade were involved in a backstage altercation with Andrade being sent home. The site reports, we're told the incident happened backstage at a dynamite show at the Entertainment and Sports Arena in Washington, D.C. Wednesday night. Sources tell us words were exchanged and then things turned physical. Sammy allegedly pushed Andrade and punches were thrown, according to our sources. It's unclear if anyone was hit. Our sources are adamant the altercation was not part of an AEW storyline. That's one thing in all of this way is that I feel by this point, at least my Twitter timeline, it's no longer the, oh, it's a work uh, mm-hmm. default. It's no odds are this this actually happened and there's nobody playing conspiracy theory anymore when it comes to these incidents. Um, as for the reason for the fight, the guys have been in an intense beef that spilled over on social media on Tuesday. They went back and forth. Our sources say several wrestlers are pissed at Sammy for publicly airing personal and private issues and things just boiled over at the arena and Andrade did tweet out a message that read, respect me and I'll respect you. So Andrade is sent home, but curiously, Sammy was not. He was all over the show tonight. And I will say that whatever was going on with him, it certainly didn't affect his performance in the main event because he went balls out in, in that match. And um, it, it, might added, in a, it might have added to it, John. You know, well, the heat from the, the crowd. I mean, you could hear the Idolo chants and you still suck even when he did some impressive feats. Um mm-hmm. He had a hell of a performance in that main event. So this um, only pushed him forward um, in that regard. There was certainly no um, evidence of this affecting his performance. And to your point, it might have even enhanced it. Um, But just another mess way in a long line of them. And again, um, I you go back to our 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 show after all out and or discussing the fallout of all of that. My big takeaway was this was something that was it should have never gotten to that point. When CM Punk is going on live television and just throwing down shoot gauntlets for guys to challenge, that's the point where, okay, we're, we're, we're destroying this problem now before it grows because it's gotten too big. It never should have gotten to that press conference. Never should have gotten to this. Same deal here. 
you had all of this online for everyone to see. Your average fan would have realized, wow, there is some tension here, and this better be on high alert on Wednesday. Like, there is a potential issue, especially in a very, what has been a contentious locker room environment that we have been privy to to see the fallout from. So mm-hmm. the idea that these guys even got close enough to each other that something could get physical is... To me, that is the largest question here. And that's not to excuse the behavior of either of these two. These are adults at the same time, and you can place blame. Uh, but they're, you know, AEW's conclusion was sending one home and not the other, regardless of, you know, how you want to view this. And there are aspects that we are not privy to. But, mm-hmm. you know, one was in the main event on that show. But at the same time, like, we look at the backstage incident and all out, they sent the producers home. That were like trying to break, like everybody was sent home af- after that. So a lot of questions that come out of this. And again, just a, a, a continued pattern for AEW as they have been trying to put a much more positive spin on the locker room post all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I mean, the fact that this is occurring on the third anniversary, you know, um, and on National Scissoring Day, no less, you know, a day of celebration. Uh, is is really, really unfortunate. We're talking about a company that I think is still in the midst of, you know, some negative PR. You wrote a big piece today, John, about, you know, just the public's changing opinions about AEW. And for something like this to happen so publicly throughout the week, leading up to the day of the show and this story breaking is an embarrassment for a professional company. Um, and it's it's just sad. And, and you know, beyond that, I, it's hard to speak about the specifics without not know without knowing anything more than hey like a, an altercation occurred we don't know if, if even the punch is connected but you know not not to say that even matters the fact that he even escalated to any sort of physical altercation or, or the possibility of, of, of physical altercation calls into question so much of i think whatever talent relations team um is is currently in place in the company um what sort of protocols exist when people get into online disagreements or just you know behind the scenes disagreements and 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 what sort of conflict resolution systems may might might be in place and um obviously whatever has been in place didn't work tonight yeah i mean it's you know these two like imagine just for anyone that's listening to this, that if you went to your place of business and this was how you handled yourself and feeling that you could go ahead and do this, like calling it out and then executing these actions. Like, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, pride and ego involved in this, the way this worked out publicly over the last couple of days. And you're you're going to have that testosterone. But and and again, I'm, I'm not excusing these two, but there is there's a structural issue in place as well here that is supposed to prevent these issues. You can't prevent everything from happening. You can't always police a locker room. But this was one where it was literally telegraphed earlier this week. I will see you on Wednesday. That is at least enough of a concern that we need to be prepared here. And it's resulted in one person being sent home and, you know, an, another that I mean, People, public sentiment will have uh, an argument whether um, they should be uh, should have been sent home as well just for their being directly involved in all of this. But you know, I, I did write quite a bit today just about the the attitude of AEW, the perception that you know a lot of that press conference has had with people because of the public nature of it, and 
it just comes down to at a certain point of Tony Khan putting his foot down and you are free to say whatever you want when you're out there. But if you bring embarrassment onto me and my company, that's where there's going to be a zero tolerance policy. So you think about what kind of actions you're going to carry out. Because when I'm out doing promotion for this company, for these big shows, and I've got to spend five minutes uh, avoiding questions about the latest backstage incident, that's five minutes I don't have to promote my next event. When Mm -hmm. I send Chris Jericho out for our Canadian debut next week, and he's got to be answering questions about Sammy Guevara instead of promoting a match with Brian Danielson, you are doing harm to the company by us having to constantly put out these fires and... You are not going to be fired. You're going to just sit and that will be you're under contract. And this is not going to this is not going to be a a friendly environment where you feel you can just show up at work and get into altercations with people or commandeer press conferences or shoot your own angles on television like Mm -hmm. this is just to me. We're past the breaking point, and you can bury your head in the sand and state, oh, this is just a small incident. We can make money off of this. This is great for pro wrestling. I I disagree. I don't think that the legitimate issues that we had with Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara enhanced that match in any way, shape, or form a few weeks ago. In certain cases, yes, it can work in, in professional wrestling, the real issues draw money slogan. Like there's a reason that that is a mantra, but to me, this is two heels that we're not going to make any money off of this with. It's just further embarrassment to the company. And to your point way here on our anniversary night, um, people's attention was greatly, I think taken away from the action on screen and more concerned about the action behind the scenes and what was going on. And just the the, the latest in an ongoing story with AEW. Yeah. Um, so much of this, you know, unfortunately seems to undo, I think, some of the positive momentum that AEW was starting to build back after All Out. You know, we've heard about a talent meeting uh, very much led by, uh, you know, uh, some of the veterans in the locker room and John Moxley, Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson. And from at least reports, it seems like morale in the locker room was was very much changed and, and much better. And I I have to imagine like this was, uh, you know, a real blow to everybody back there who's been working so hard to try to, you know, rebuild the image of this company following a very, you know, incredible, like incredibly embarrassing story involving CM Punk and the elite. So um, this is something that I I'm I think we're all looking for Tony Khan specifically, not just the, the veterans that he, he's employed in the locker room, but Tony Khan specifically to handle and to show the public that he's capable of handling proper punishment for people involved in this. Again, we I don't know the specifics of the incident itself, but I think the public wants to see him specifically speak about it and to to take action, you know, for for us to feel confident, for the audience to feel confident that he's capable of leading, you know, an industry full of a lot of, you know, high strung egos. That's 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 a given. You know, it's a very competitive uh, industry, but stuff like like these Twitter beefs are just it's embarrassing for all involved. It does. I I think it just it's. It's just an embarrassment to the company of just this happening continually and especially during this yeah period, as you mentioned, where I think there's been a concerted effort to put on a, 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 a front of a positive locker room. And, and, and I'm sure that there are many, many people in that locker room who are just as upset as, as anyone else of, you know, mm-hmm. this, this happening and how it reflects badly on, 
others that are trying to lead forward during I don't know if you want to call this like a, a difficult time for AEW, but it's a transition. It's you know, you're you're seeing some of the these markets and some softness when tickets are going on sale and you know the the, the buzz that it's hard to quantify, but you can s- sense that you know that has evaporated to a degree over to WWE and at times that brings out a lot of stress and AEW has not been in this kind of a position during their three years where it's kind of regrouping and figuring out what their next step is going to be. And, and you either look at these problems and you come up with excuses or you look at root causes and, and what needs to, uh, what adjustments you need to make and how much you're, you're piling onto your plate, like what your priorities are when we're looking at, you know, ring of honor and how important that is and rampage. And you're looking at these different markets. Like there is, there is so much on their plate. What are the priorities um, to make this, this company as strong as possible going into these negotiations? Yeah. Yeah. I think heading into this year, I, I you know, we all recognize that it's an incredibly c- competitive marketplace between the WWE. And if you're in, in AEW trying to, you know, uh, break and, and, and get into any sort of like race with, with the behemoth that is the WWE. But I don't know if any of us like foresaw so much internal strife from AEW within that, like, you know, at this point seems to be its biggest PR um, undoing at least, you know? Um, so it's, it seems like they have a lot of issues from within that they have to fix before even, you know, considering so many, so many of these other things that are on Tony Khan's plate. Yeah. And I mean, like, let's not forget the fact, like how fast the story was public too. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, you know, a very, very quick turnaround as well, that this story got, got, got out there. So anyway, I'm sure we will be discussing this more and I'm sure it'll come back, come up uh, in the show itself and the feedback as well. Uh, off the top, um, before we get into the review, I wanted to uh, alert everyone to our latest edition of Rewind Away. We just put out on Tuesday night, two plus hours dedicated to WCW Great American Bash 1996, which was our uh, our second consecutive WCW review after Starcade 1995. And we've gotten uh, a lot of compliments for our WCW coverage of late and another big deep dive into WCW, uh, this time in 96, right as the NWO angle is taking shape with a big angle involving Eric Bischoff and... And headlined by a classic between the giant Paul White and Lex Luger. And let's not forget Kevin Green, Steve Bongo McMichael representing football players from the NFL, taking on two of the four horsemen in Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Yeah, that was a, uh, it was uh, quite a time when celebrities were uh, making their way into the wrestling ring. Yes. Also on the show, of course, Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio in Rey Mysterio's WCW debut in it was quite the match, and for those of you who don't have the network or don't have Peacock, you can actually find that match for free on YouTube. So you can look up Dean versus Ray Mysterio, maybe listen to us talk about it in the Post Wrestling Cafe afterwards. Yeah, and the, the way Rewind Away works is that we also dive into all the news headlines from that week in uh, June of 1996. There were legal threats from the WWF and some unbelievable demands by the WWF side of what they felt would be proper restoration for uh, this confusion in the marketplace using mm-hmm. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, including multiple plugs throughout WCW programming. So uh, we go into all of that, all the latest headlines, a big review of the show, and our man Hochi Saldivar joining us from the beautiful uh, backdrop that was the Chicago skyline uh, to talk about why this show was so important to him. And those that are members at video.postwrestling.com can get the video version so they can see said skyline. 
also available on Apple Podcasts as well. So if you guys prefer those platforms, whichever ones you prefer, go and check us out. All of our bonus shows, including Rewind of Smackdown, we've got uh, this weekend. Pollock is doing a uh, Impact Wrestling review with John Ceno. So all of that plus MCU later coming out tomorrow as well. Yes, we're splitting up on Friday. I'll be doing the Bound for Glory post show with, with Sino for cafe members. And that means a free edition of Rewind to SmackDown. Way and Kate will be covering SmackDown, the season premiere from Worcester, Rampage, and Battle of the Belts 4. Four hours covered by Kate and Way live this coming Friday night. So plenty of, uh, of audio coming your way in the next couple of days. And the final note is that next Wednesday, Dynamite is in Toronto. So that means the ultimate post tailgate party where we are going to be meeting at the Tim Hortons in Liberty Village, 171 East Liberty Street outside in the parking lot. Grab your coffee, grab your, uh, grab your muffins. If someone Tim wants bits, to, Tim Beebs. If someone wants to drive up from Chicago with some Mindy's, you're more than welcome to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be meeting in the parking lot, hanging out. Uh, and this is only a five-minute walk from the Coca-Cola Coliseum. So we'll be hanging out there. Show up around five or so. The, uh, I guess, elevation matches will start around seven. So just come hang out, and maybe you'll be able to secure some uh, s- some post merchandise. Grab your coffees. But don't grab a sleeve. We will supply those uh, in full for all of you guys who are fans uh, of post-wrestling. Yeah, we were thinking about, you know, Liberty Village uh, is a a neighborhood in Toronto that contains a lot of bars. Um, It's also the Leafs versus the Canadians, okay? That same time on a Wednesday. And we just didn't want to deal with the hassle of trying to book a place or trying to find a spot. So, you know what? It's going to be a long night for everybody. Come meet us. Grab a coffee outside the Tim Hortons and have a chat. Maybe take some pictures and uh, maybe even get some swag from us as well, especially for those of you who are patrons. Yes. And it can be an entire post-wrestling experience that night because bookending that night after Dynamite, it's going to be the post-Dynamite bash at Sneaky D's as Braden Harrington and Davey Portman uh, will be doing a a big meetup at Sneaky D's at college and Bathurst. So uh, not too far from the, the Coca-Cola Coliseum. Uh, you can actually karaoke. take a, you can take a streetcar right from exhibition station, I believe. That's right. You can take yeah. the, the streetcar right up. Uh, so yeah, karaoke, wrestling themed drinks, gifts and prizes. Uh, so there you have it. Braden and Davey will be hosting that after uh, Dynamite and Way and I will be live next Wednesday. Uh, we will be a little later than usual because I will be at the show. And as soon as I get home, uh, probably a half hour or so after Dynamite, half hour, 45 minutes, we will go live. So uh, it'll be a different schedule next week uh, because of the live component. And all of those events are absolutely free. No cover charge. Certainly, we're not charging cover to Tim Hortons. To stand outside in the cold, probably. It'll be a very so, Canadian uh, meetup. Very post-wrestling type of meetup. It. Let's hope so, the weather cooperates. It should. Yeah, it's going to be me and Way alone drinking coffee. But that's <laughs> no. fine. I always enjoy time with Way. All right. Uh Let's chat about just a few more news items because I know that we uh, we kind of have a packed show here. Uh, just going through some of the numbers from Monday, Raw did a million five hundred ninety nine thousand viewers and a point four zero in the eighteen to forty nine demo. So um, they they definitely fell to to a lower viewership and a, a 
much lower demo uh, than usual uh, with 526,000 viewers in the demo that coming courtesy of Brandon Thurston and Showbuzz Daily uh, for the week. They were down only four and a half percent in viewership, but down 10 percent uh, in the demo, down 18 uh, percent among women, 18 to 49. They were going against um, another big NFL game. So it wasn't airing on ESPN or sorry, it wasn't airing on ABC, but it was airing on ESPN and ESPN two with the Manning cast. Did you did you happen to watch any of uh, Saturday Night Live on this past weekend? For the I don't think I've seen SNL in quite some time. The opening segment, I won't go too deep into this because I know we're running uh, already late on time, but the opening segment was them doing a parody of the Manning cast, but instead of watching a football game, they were watching the cold open to Saturday Night Live, and they're pretty much just burying it, like – you know, making fun of like the jokes that aren't hitting. And, you know, everyone knows it's a transition year here for Saturday Night Live because there's such a big turnover with the cast. And like, it's just like I hadn't watched Saturday Night Live in a long time. And I just felt like it was the complaint we would make when you're watching wrestling and they're burying their own show. It's like, why, why am I staying up to watch this? It's like literally the opening segment. They're like, this sucks. And this is not going to be a great year of Saturday Night Live. It was uh it was an interesting sketch to start the show. And it actually wasn't that bad of an episode. But Well, there you go. Hooked so, you. Yep, maybe maybe they hooked me in. Uh, NXT, uh, the live episode, it did not matter that they were live. Uh, they were down 5% in viewers, down 16% in the demo uh, with 625,000 viewers, a .13. Uh, the Commonwealth address, it just didn't reel in all of the fans and uh, and doing 56,000 viewers in Canada as well. Um, demos were kind of all over the place here. They, they've been kind of fluctuating the last couple of weeks, so it's been up, it's been down, uh, but this was uh, their lowest viewership since uh, August the 9th. So the, the live element really meant nothing when the taped episodes beat the live show. So that, that goes to be your, your latest lesson when it comes to live versus taped. And one other number was a Tales from the Territories on Tuesday on Vice did 113,000 viewers and a .05 in the demo. That would be on the lower end of the last season of Dark Side of the Ring. It would be lower than all but one of the last season's episodes. So um, that's kind of the, the viewership that you were uh, attracting for this. I did see the first episode on Memphis. It had the big plus is that they do have WWE participating in this. So you do a Memphis roundtable and you do have Jerry Lawler. Um, Jeff Jarrett was part of this. I imagine this was filmed when Jarrett was still part of the company. Jerry Jarrett, Dutch Mantel, Jimmy Hart. And it's telling essentially they've they just tape these roundtables and they pick the best stories from the tapings. And that's what the episode consists of. So it really comes down to the personalities involved. They do have some of the reenactments. Some of the stories are insane and probably greatly embellished at times as is uh, professional wrestling. So if you're looking for a deep documentary style into the, into the territory, that's not what this is. It's more so like a, I guess a table for three with a with a higher rating in terms of uh, content that they will address and such as hmm. a man's eye being ripped out by Jerry Jarrett and stuff like that. You know, f- fun stories that make uh, make some current stories look less uh, harmful. No one lost eyes recently. Were we expecting uh, – was there any promotion from Dwayne Johnson? No, oh, it looks like there was. Oh, okay. yeah. He, he was tweeting about it. Yeah, His, he, he does voice the, uh, the, the opening for it and mm-hmm. – yeah, I, I I wasn't expecting any WWE promotion for this, but yeah, Dwayne Johnson did plug this on on his uh, social platform. So next week is 
just a discussion on the Jerry Lawler, Andy Kaufman feud. And then episode three is on the AWA. And we have the whole list of episodes and panels uh, up on my news update from last Friday, if you want to check that out. So I, I, I think people will enjoy it for, for what it is. If you enjoy just hearing, you know, tall tales from wrestlers and different personalities, that's kind of the concept of the show. I don't know if it's going to have necessarily the subject matter that Dark Side of the Ring brought where – it really some of the bigger episodes generated so much discussion uh, over and, and news actually and news that came out of it. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. the plane ride from hell one as as one instance of that as well. Um, moving along, uh, we have uh, let's let's just finish off here on uh, the WWE. They have hired a new director of long term creative, Rob Fee. Uh, this was first reported by Fightful Select and. More so, I'm just uh, curious, Way, your thoughts on the idea of the WWE hiring a director of long-term creative, which um, eight months ago would have been an oxymoron in, the, yeah. in this company. And this would have been the absolute worst job in the entire company to be in charge of. And it shows you um, the fact that they are filling a role like this. And, you know, the, the also part of the report is that uh, this person, Rob Fee, uh, seems to be credited with the the White Rabbit hints, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it tells you like the the level of you know, deep thought that, you know, some enjoy, some do not like it as much, but it does tell you kind of a a sample of, you know, the work being done. I find the, um, it was like really interesting, just the announcement of it. And I feel very much like the announcement of even this role coming into existence is in a way, a bit of a PR move as if to tell the audience, Hey, we know we have issues with long-term storytelling. And in fact, we're going to show you how much we know that by hiring somebody to specifically address that issue. Um, and you know, like I, the, the white rabbit things, um, I, I, I suppose they're not necessarily for everybody, but you know, from the reception I've seen, I, I think it, your, been- your breakdown on Monday was incredible. I was like well, listening back. I was just like, I'm so spoiled that I have you to lean on because I, I would have just literally been I, I, I wouldn't have even had the time to try, much less have the ability to break this stuff down. I, I will let you handle the ratings and the quarter hours and the, and the demos and I'll I'll deal with the QR code. 14 and- minutes. I think I speak for maybe 20 seconds with like just a stupid one liner in between ways. Serious analysis. But, it, you know, to, to me, it's like the type of engagement that I think is is very modern and, and you know, hit, is hitting a section of the audience that I think has been unfulfilled by professional wrestling for quite a while. So um, them bring this person on full time to not just uh, clearly oversee whatever is going to happen with Bray Wyatt, but maybe beyond that afterwards, um, I think is incredibly promising. Obviously, like in a wrestling context, we don't exactly know what a long term creative role is going to be. But um, I think just tighter storytelling you know more more uh intelligent storytelling is in complex storytelling is what we're looking for so outside of bray wyatt i'm curious to see like you know what this rob fee might have to offer i it was a really tiny thing but just that comment when drew kevin owens and uh who was the third one that they anyway for for the main event on smackdown last week you had drew and owens teaming up and just the little line of drew and owens acknowledging the match they had um, a month or two ago on Raw, like just calling out things that happened beyond a week ago that gives you just why are these two teaming up? And after having that big promo segment on on Raw back in the summer, is this person going to be in charge of looking through cage match, um, you know, histories for Michael Cole on commentary? That would be 
Yeah, maybe that Michael is- Cole should really be the long-term creative director. Uh, Drew at this and point. Gargano were actually evolved tag team champions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Back, back in uh, Gabe's, or, or maybe, maybe that's that's Gabe Sapolsky's uh, territory. He's got it's, uh, Paul's got all bases covered now when it comes yeah. to uh, their research. Um, let, let's just do one final thing, and that is for Bound for Glory coming up this Friday. So if you haven't been following along, this is the card that they have. It is headlined by Josh Alexander and Eddie Edwards for the Impact title. I. I wouldn't say this has been like a tremendous build for this. Like it's Eddie Edwards turning his back on impact. So this is kind of the culmination of that going after the title of Josh Alexander, who's great in the role of champion. I have a hard time seeing Eddie Edwards as a top heel. Um, so it, it just hasn't felt to me like the big title match of the year that they've been uh, building towards, but. Regardless, it should be a very good match. Jordan Grace and Masha Slamovich for the Impact Knockouts title. They've just had Slamovich on a tear, not losing since she's uh, come to Impact. So this is her going for the championship after this streak of killing everybody. Matt Taven and Mike Bennett defending the tag titles against Motor City Machine Guns. Speedball Mike Bailey against Frankie Kazarian for the X Division Championship. Mia Yim against Mickey James. And the story they are doing with Mickey James with the last rodeo, it's pretty much a redo of the Ric Flair angle in WWE, where the next time she loses, she will retire. And she is working her way from the bottom towards one more shot at the knockouts title. So, um, she is expected to win this one, but this is a long-term story that they are building with Mickey James. Chelsea Green and Deanna Perrazzo defending the Impact Knockouts tag titles against Jessica and Taya Valkyrie. The Call Your Shot gauntlet with uh, 20 wrestlers and the winner will get a contract that they can invoke any time. Because this is now, along with authority figures, the constant in every company. you got to have... Uh, an ability to cash in at any time on your champion. And then Brian Myers, an open challenge defending the digital media championship. Maybe he's going to take on like a, an editor. Maybe he will take on um, a, a TikTok influencer. What digital media challenge will Brian Myers face on, on Friday? The manager should really be like, you know, whatever time limit. TikTok is actually like pretty long these days, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they could compete for Vine. You know, six second match. Okay. Um, maybe ownership of Twitter at, at stake because that's a very contentious issue right now. It looks like Elon Musk, he's back and he's, he's now, he wants to buy the thing. Is he back in the race? Okay. Oh, yeah. He, I don't think he wanted to settle. Uh, what was, it was not looking good, his, his case. So it's like now, 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 now he wants Twitter again. So we will see what happens there. I will say Friday night. Um, I know that John Cena and I will be watching this. I don't know how much, how well this is going to do. Not only are they going up against four hours of free wrestling television, it's a big edition of SmackDown. It's, you know, it's a live rampage. It's, you certainly have an alternative if you're looking for wrestling on Friday night. On top of that, uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs are starting on Friday night as well. So, I mean, that's, that, that's a, a factor. Yeah. So, um, that, that plays into things too. It just seems like a Friday night pay-per-view for impact. That is not going to be everyone's priority show. It's, I, I think it's a tough night to run, you know, live. I'm sure, you know, when they go to a city, they do the pay-per-view and then their tapings the next day. And I'm sure a Friday, Saturday is better to draw from. I just think this pay-per-view, I, I, I just do not, even by impact standards, I don't sense this as one of their bigger um, pay-per-view events, but um, hopefully they have a good show on Friday and whether they do or they don't, John Cena and I will let you know on Friday night for post wrestling cafe members. And you can check out postwrestling.com for all of the latest news and youtube.com slash post wrestling, where if you want ways breakdown of all of these white rabbit 
clues from the QR codes, that is your place to go. Subscribe, turn on your notifications, and you will get myself and Wei Ting coming at you way too frequently in your feed. We That's appreciate- up your algorithm with post-wrestling at all hours of the day. <laughs> You could do that. Absolutely. We appreciate all the attention that you can give us uh, at any time of day. So thanks. It's one of my uh, concerns is when I click on a video, knowing that I'm going to get just uh, just a slew of these videos mm-hmm. right afterwards that I really have to think twice. How badly do I want to watch uh, some video of a guy like, you know, jumping from trees or something that I'm just going to get hit? I, like I watch a lot of stupid videos on YouTube and for my enjoyment. And then you can I mean, just- you should be careful of every, anything that you click on the internet. If you're going to worry about that, anything you buy, anything you say, John, you know, into your phone. Yeah. Anything I say into this microphone. Are you telling me this is not a private conversation? I, I, I feel, I think a few people are listening at least 200 right now. I'm not kidding. In in 30 years, like our kids way, they're going to grow up in a world where they're just under, understand that they're being monitored 24 seven. Yeah. We already are. Yeah, that's fine. It's not so bad. Just submit everybody. What, what, Obey. What's, what, what's freedom? What, what, what really is a democracy? Okay, let's get into Dynamite. On that note, the third anniversary show where um, I guess I wonder if there was a birthday cake backstage. Um, hopefully there were no lights going out <laughs> for anyone. Uh, lights out? What do you mean? I mean, like if someone got struck and got their lights knocked out. Okay. That, that was the joke. Oh, sorry. Got it. I'm okay. tired already. It's, uh, it's a late one and these extra 15 minutes. How did you find the extended edition of Dynamite? You know, it didn't affect me as much. Um, I, I thought this was a good show. So by the time the main event rolled around, I mean, I was enjoying myself and I was more than willing to, you know, sit down for another 15 minutes to watch that match. Any pacing differences you noticed was the 15 minutes did it let anything breathe more than a typical I mean, dynamite I felt like the show was just still as fast as ever like i still have trouble keeping up with my notes while trying to pay it like i'm drawing down my thoughts on the last match while trying to actively listen to the segment that's going on right now and it's it like it is the opposite of mindfulness okay whatever whatever zen that anybody who practices meditation gets into this is the complete opposite of that it is it, it actually very stressful but um this I, is episode I, 7 every single week oh yeah the bear yeah it's like it's just like working in the kitchen yes yeah so let's let it rip <laughs> yes i will never <laughs> say that line but yeah you, you know what show my wife wants to watch now that we're done the bear this is her andor Andor? No, no, she has one. Because Richie is on Andor. He's on Star oh, Wars. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's great. No, we're anyway. gonna watch the rehearsal next. Oh wow! Really? How do you go? How do you go from the bear to, to the rehearsal? I don't know. It didn't click to me that it was it, it was the Nathan Fielder show until she. Yeah. I was like, the rehearsal. What's what's that about? And yeah. she showed it to me. I'm like, oh, this show. I'm aware of this show. This I, I'm on board with this. Pick. Did she like Nathan for you? I don't know if she watched it, to be quite honest, but okay. this was her pick. She wants to watch it. So I was like, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to know what, what you both think, because it's, it's actually quite, quite a bit different from Nathan for you. Okay. Our announcers tonight, Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, and Taz, and we get right into it with MJF and Wheeler Yuta. MJF's first match on Dynamite since April. Yeah, okay, so not counting pay-per-view. Of course. Yeah, he, well, I mean, even with pay-per-views, like... This was his first one since Double or Nothing, unless you're counting well, the his, ladder uh, match. his ladder match. If, if yeah. you include that as a match, that was his, his last walk up a ladder. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, right. So anyway. Okay. 
crowd was really hot for MJF when he came out. I mean, he was a superstar to this mm-hmm. crowd. Uh, both guys doing struts at the beginning, and MJF catches and power bombs Yuta onto his knee. Uh, there's a double clothesline spot after a series of tombstone reversals and multiple roll throughs, and the crowd is applauding both AEW chant. And Yuta gets stopped on top, and MJF goes for the old Chris Benoit spot with the tombstone off the second turnbuckle, but Yuta counters it, biting him, and hits a top rope Frankensteiner and a tope suicida. And Yuta climbs to the top. MJF rolls across the ring. And he is, they, they sometimes say, oh, he's three quarters of the way across the ring. This dude was legit like 80% across the ring. And Yuta landed this splash. It was pretty impressive. Uh, but then MJF captures the arm into the salt of the earth, pulls him to the center, and flips over into a different version of the Fujiwara and submits Yuta in 15 minutes and seven seconds. A terrific opening match. It really was, yeah. I think the rarity of MJ mat- MJF matches are, um, you know, really making them, I think, attractions. Especially, when I didn't realize how few matches he has had this year until I mm-hmm. looked it up to. And dude, of his dynamite matches, two of them were like the Sean Dean matches. Yeah, like well, this is only his fourth match on TV this year. I mean, you know, the attraction, like he's he, him speaking is is you know oftentimes the draw, right? But uh, I think that's what makes him so like his wrestling so understated, at least in the past, is because you know you expect a guy who could speak that well to only be able to speak that well with the wrestling almost as like you know sort of a secondary thing. But he his matches, at least when he really gets going, like they they're they're so good that they are often I think like. You can you can argue that like he's the most well-rounded guy in the company because his talking is that strong. His in-ring is very strong as well. Um, I'm not going to say this was like a show-stealing match, but I mean I really have to kind of think about it by the end of the ma- the show because this was absolutely fantastic. Um, he wrestles a style that almost like, especially when it's against somebody like Wheeler Yuta, he can wrestle like he's incredibly dominant. You know, like he's almost like a final boss at video game. But at the same time, he's able to switch to playing coward really easily. So in that sense, like he he felt very much like a Ric Flair type of wrestler here. I thought this was one of Yuta's best singles matches on Dynamite. He displayed tremendous fire throughout this entire program. Yes, I think we've we've, you know, seen the this discrepancy on the microphone between these two. But um I'm going to say, you know, I think you'd have gained a whole lot throughout this entire program. And in ring, we know he's already got it. So he looked very much like an equal in ring in there with uh, uh, MJF and at times even, you know, the the better of of, uh, MJF. So he was excellent here. Great sequences, spectacular moves without having to do too much. The big high spot of the match was them building up to you just dive. You know, through a series of, um, uh, you know, MJF rolling to the other side and teasing it all match. I thought it was a great match. When you look at this, it was a three-week program, pretty mm-hmm. much. And that first promo, I mean, it was you know him tossed into the deep end. Then you have him cut that promo in his hometown last week that came off really well. And, and it leads to the match that I, I think overall, like, you have to look at this as a... Like a very strong three weeks for for Wheeler Yuta, and it was a way to build up to a rare MJF match that I, I think overall these three weeks worked together. And the way this ended is kind of they they left it hanging because Yuta offers his hand, and MJF is contemplating it, and he's about to shake hands when Lee Moriarty jumps Yuta, and MJF gets upset and complains to Stokely. He said, "I didn't." 
tell you to do that. And he is handed the dynamite diamond ring when Regal gets up from the announcer's area and puts on the brass knuckles, walks down to the ring for a stare down with MJF, who ends up exiting the ring. So it was a tease here of MJF having uh, respect for Wheeler Yuta after this match and after he stood up to him. Yeah, so they they seem to already be teasing an MJF babyface turn, and um, I you know obviously it's the first day week we're we're seeing something like this, so maybe there's an element of like letting it play out. But I have to say, like I feel the timing feels kind of off for it. For one thing, you know we we we've yet to really have the firm be established yet. And certainly his connection to the firm, I don't think has been like, yeah, we know sort of like the whole um, whatever on retainer type of thing that they have. But we we don't know. We, like, we haven't seen him with the firm long enough in order for us to feel any sort of like significance to him leaving the group yet. So I felt like this was a bit early, um, not to mention the fact that this was like one of three instances on the show where they kind of teased uh, a heel turning i mean i suppose garcia at this point has almost like fully turned but that's still to me like sort of like in doubt um you'd get the segment right afterwards that was an exact replication of this so uh, it, it it felt like there was something off about maybe just the old this in the body of the rest of the show they're doing the first year of ring of honor where everybody might might be who refuses the handshake code of honor yes that's yeah. that's the the genesis of all of this we had a video package for the main event, and Shivani is with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Menard says that Garcia is spitting in their face by teaming with Danielson tonight. Hager's in the background wearing the bucket hat that they had given to Garcia. And Parker says that Garcia has lost his way. And Jericho says that they taught Garcia every tip he knows, and he better make the right decision, or they'll end him, and he is going to desecrate the legacy of ROH and leave Toronto ROH champion next week. I like the like so you know we we noticed maybe a bit more video packages last week um I can't like I don't know if there were any more this week than than typical but I like the placement of like a video package right after the first match promoting the main event you know it's it it, it makes the main event you know that much more significant when they had several on the show it. it seemed similar like to the the format last week right Jay Lethal and Darby Allen and they mentioned Bobby Cruz is still at home recovering from the attack by Chris Jericho last week. That's not a one-week recovery period for Bobby Cruz. So there's a spot where Lethal goes for the lethal injection, and Darby hunches over and, like, back body drops him onto his head, follows with a code red, Darby's favoring the knee, and then Sanjay and Sutnam Singh come out and... You remember Jay Lethal said he was going to do this by himself. Darby spots them and gets stopped by Lethal. Lethal sends them to, back. He doesn't want their help. And we get multiple sunset flip counters, ending with Darby tying the legs into the Last Supper and catching Jay Lethal in 10 minutes and 17 seconds. And they are really emphasizing that the Last Supper is basically unbreakable. He always mm-hmm. catches his opponents with this. No one has been able to kick out of it. And then afterwards... Darby offers his hand. Like, what a what a novel idea here. And he's he's pretty much like yelling at Jay Lethal that he doesn't need these guys. And then he shoves him. And then Jay Lethal shakes his hand and he leaves to the back as Sanjay is pissed. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, 
Very strong match. I thought Lethal was fantastic here. You know, beautiful technique and everything he does. Uh, really great control of the match overall with some really great looking varied offense working over Darby's knee. Like you said, John, you know, I love the fact that like for a guy who does as many risk taking bumps as Darby Allen, his ultimate finisher is a technical pinning combination. Um, fuller leg lock it's like just a simple move but again it's like they've made it that no one can kick out of this so the day someone does that crowd will go nuts i don't think anybody should ever okay i think they should protect this thing as 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 even more than the one-winged angel you know it's it's just something i love for a guy who takes such crazy risks his most effective move is a pinning combination um i i can't say like I, after the match, you know, all this stuff, like, I, I, it was, it's the exact same spot as, like, what we saw beforehand. You know, how many uh, times are we going to get somebody, like, shaking somebody's hand and then refusing to do so? Um, I, I felt like there was a lack of communication, perhaps, between, like, the, I don't know, the agents, but, like, you figured that would be Tony Khan, you know, putting this whole thing together. So, it seemed kind of unusual to me to see, like, two of the same things it was just odd to to place them back to back with kind of the the exact same uh, idea at at the end of it but um has anyone ever offered you their hand and you've contemplated whether you would shake it or not like it's kind Um, of automatic that you shake someone's hand i've never been in a situation where i've been not wanting to shake their hand right well what if that person like you know is is really bad okay like you sometimes you Again, don't I've never been in that situation. Like I've never been next to like some like murderous dictator. I'd be yeah, I, I don't want to have a photo of like shaking your hand. That could haunt me. Right, right. Okay, well then we can't really speak. I haven't been in that situation either. No. Okay. Then there was a video package for Brian Cage and the Embassy. So we got to see Prince Nana, the gates of agony, and uh Cage stating, This is not my return, this is my arrival. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so, what does that mean? He wasn't here before. This is everything that we saw. Of I'm like, this what? is technically untrue. This everything is we saw. Your return. You have been on this show before. Um, this guy's not at a match on Dynamite in like forever. Um, these well, that, two, this guy definitely did need a reintroduction because this was his return. But I guess many maybe are treating it as his arrival. Sure. Yeah, he's saying this is a fresh start for him. That's that's what he means. And I believe this this might be the first time we've seen the the embassy with Prince Nana at least. You know, on, on TV, Dynamite. Yes. Yeah. They've yeah. been relegated to the ROH pay per views, right? I don't even know if I didn't even know that they were still a thing. You know, after well, they, the whole... they replaced Tully Blanchard Enterprises with the Embassy just out of the blue when Tully was out and Prince Nana was in. That's what I mean. Since the ROH pay-per-view, I hadn't heard a thing from them. I, I didn't know if, like, you know, Gresham leaving completely killed the group or not. But I was happy to see them get some presence here. I was happy to see Prince Nana get on national TV here uh, on Dynamite. I mean, I thought it was a fun little promo that they had. Um, they actually look pretty intimidating as a stable of three. You know, like, you have three, like, pretty large men here in in uh, the, the Gates of Agony and, of course, Brian Cage. So, um I'm I'm down for more more of the embassy. I don't I hate the fact that like these ROH things are just like relegated and like never heard from. I, I think it's very difficult to try and be in like weaving this company into all of the AEW stories. Like I think it is I understand why they're doing it. It's just sometimes difficult when we've got like the ROH groups that are different from the AEW groups and you're trying to get all these these titles across. I will say with Jericho now as the ROH champion, I'm hoping that 
we get some interaction with Prince Nana to address Christopher. Do you remember this? When I he don't was on remember. With, uh, with, with, with our own Chris Ely. Oh, okay. Man, that's a pretty That's a deep, deep, deep cut, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Well, right. that, was, that was for three people. <laughs> Wardlow against Brian Cage for the TNT Championship. Uh, dude, Wardlow hit a whisper in the wind, and this yeah. crowd just lost it when he did this. He goes into release Germans, then Cage with a deadlift vertical. Crowd loved this. Wardlow avoids the drill claw. Strikes are thrown. The straps come down, and then power bombs. Brian Cage follows with three additional power bombs. The last one, man, this crowd just exploded, and he pinned Brian Cage. Uh, I thought these two just had a great Big man, monster style match. And this was the kind of match that you wanted to see from a Brian Cage. And I thought that uh, Wardlow, this was one of his you know better showings since winning this TNT title, which happened all the way back in May. I thought it was one June. of the- I thought it was one of the better matches we we've seen from Wardlow or, or like one of the, the the types of matches we want to see from Wardlow because I think like his matches have really become pretty one note at this point and I think excitement for Wardlow appearances The symphony have, is one note is that what you're saying? <laughs> that, exactly. Uh you know since the whole MJF thing I think have have you know continued to to just go down beyond this one spot he's got with the power bombs or him like beating up jobbers in handicap matches it's just not been that interesting or challenging for a viewer to see so to see somebody like brian cage um who's made a name for being a big man but being incredibly agile and working like a cruiserweight that's the style of wardlow match that i think we all want to see him um into you know display some versatility like cage almost feels like he's a wardlow but with like i don't know a decade more of of experience like it, it, this match reminded me how how um, unbelievably underutilized Brian Cage has been throughout this entire run in AEW, and uh, I hope to see a lot more of him with the Embassy. This match was great. I hope to see more of it with these two together. I think they're wonderful opponents. Like like um, you know, it's one thing to like I don't know have Wardlow beat up s- smaller people, but it's also cool to see somebody pick Wardlow up to do stuff with him. You know, it's um. It, it, they're almost kind of mirror images, these two, you know, just kind of two agile, muscular brunettes. And uh, I would love to see them beat the shit out of each other again. They've set the bar high for Braun and Omos. Uh, you think we'll see a whisper in the wind from either of them? Yeah. Yeah, I think we will. Omos or Braun? Yes. Yes. The the Omos whisper in the wind. Maybe it'll be the uh, the howl in the wind. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Britt Baker says that Soraya, uh, Soraya will not be wrestling in AEW. Doctors have not cleared her, so you can ship her off into bubble wrap. Uh, and this is now her house. And Excalibur questions who those doctors are. And I think everyone took this. Okay, she's been cleared. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. So this was meant to be the heel lying. Suggesting that she's not cleared when Excalibur was clearly asking, we don't know what her sources are. Is she telling a lie? Yeah, I I thought it was kind of anticlimactic to do it this way. It was and then her physically getting involved at the end of the match. Like, I think you could have built this up where it's this question that's lingering. And then finally, Paige is pushed to the brink and she's then announces that she's going to wrestle. There are a million things 
they could have done last week that were better than what we actually got. And this was one of a million, you know, setting up whatever they wanted to set up with Soraya. If they were going to do a big reveal of her actually being physically capable, uh, it, it should have started last week. You know, instead, we're just kind of left not caring. And today, um, I suppose, like, you know, they tried to make up for lost time last week and then just kind of gave you an answer by the end here. So it's Tony Storm, Athena, and Willow Nightingale with Soraya in their corner against Jamie Hayter, Serena Deeb, and Penelope Ford with Britt Baker in their corner. Really big reaction for Jamie hey, Hayter. Hey, also, uh, 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock spot for the for the women. The week. crossover, yes. So, well, I suppose like uh, it, when the show it goes until two uh, ten fifteen, is it still nine? Does it slip? No, it's still it's still it's still. I considered. mean, the crossover segment is into the new hour. Like that is, yeah, you know, uh, it's that's significant. One of the important they segments. all got their entrances too. That's right, and uh, like Hater got a tremendous response. Willow always mm. gets like a very strong reaction. I thought like this crowd, it was around like three thousand people, but man, when they. When they popped, like it sounded a lot louder at times when they when they got into certain moments. And I thought this match, like the crowd enhanced this quite a bit um, throughout the two segments that they had. Crowd was chanting Deeb when Serena was in there. Um, and Serena looked great in this match, I thought. She attacked Tony's knee, went for the Moodalock vertical suplex combo onto Athena and Storm. Then Rebel grabs a crutch from underneath the ring and Soraya takes it away from her. Willow pounces Deeb, and then we just get one by one. Everyone's coming in. Deeb spears Athena. Hater hits a backbreaker to Storm, and then Penelope Ford does the Matrix. And then as she's like hunched over, she elevates into a cutter. And I had to rewind this. I was like, what the hell did I just see? It was pretty incredible. Like you get the sense she almost like lost her balance, but somehow like had the core strength and I don't know, um, some uh, control of gravity to lift herself up. Never saw DDP yoga produce that for a diamond cutter. (laughs) Certainly not in 1996 at the great American bash against Marcus Bagwell. No, no. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, not, uh, I was going to go for some John Tenta reference, but I can't, I can't get one here, but this was, uh, (laughs) A very, a very impressive move from Penelope Ford. Yeah. And then it was Willow uh, getting the pin on Ford with a doctor bomb. And this will set up Willow Nightingale challenging Jade Cargill at Battle of the Belts on Friday. But um, I, I enjoyed like the, the match and the crowd really brought it up, too, because they reacted to the, the women like they were big deals, like when they mm-hmm. were in. They are like, I think at this point, man, I thought this was such a great rebound from last week where it felt like everybody's role in the division was diminished because of this giant net that they were all suddenly under, you know, with, with, with this quote unquote woman's revolution that Sarai introduced today. We put the women in the forefront as competitors and every single one of these six shined in this match. Um, I thought everybody like did fantastic. You know, the pace of the match was great. Everybody just, just comes in with a ton of fire, hits their moves and hits, they each hit them hard too, you know? Uh, and then the next person comes in and man, Ford looked great. As we mentioned, I thought Athena looked great. Deeb looked great. Tony Storm was probably the hardest hitting one of them all. Like she felt, she actually felt like the champion this week. Um, I thought, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought the match, it came off very well. You know, it, it was, you know, the, the crowd was into it. And, you know, you did set up something with, with Willow Nightingale at, at the end, moving that forward. And 
Yeah, overall, yeah. I, I would say that it was um, certainly a much more reduced role for Soraya on week three. Yeah, yeah, and, and like I thought, like what she, well, like the angle is is, is what she was here for. Um, but you know, before before that, just on the Jamie Hader front, like they're they're still kind of downplaying everything. Like they they're acknowledging that she's getting like a great reaction. She's acknowledging it, but then kind of shutting it down. So I I get the sense they're they're running with. Like the crowd's not giving up on her, so I think they're just running with this sort of like Daniel Bryan, you know, Kofi mania type yeah. of thing. Where they're, they're, they're calling just, out the reactions that she's yeah. Receiving. They're de pushing her in the hopes that the audience will push her for that reason. So, so Baker gets into Soraya's face, and Paige attacks her, and they get into a striking battle. Rebel then begs off, and Soraya kicks her. Strong reaction for the post match, and then you have Excalibur say that maybe Britt Baker received bad information. So. I mean, it's it's the direction that you were led to believe when she came in. I just think this could have been revealed in such a more dramatic way and let it play out where that question is lingering. That is she going to wrestle? And this felt like we we are just skipping through that aspect of the of, of the cliffhanger and just going right to the answer and now into the program. And I th- I think this could have been maximized just over a longer time and have a better reveal than just okay she's she's physically involved and she's cleared sure yeah absolutely i mean i think at this point though like even after the segment you're kind of still left wondering exactly what the extent of clearance might be her slapping Britt baker or getting into a hockey fight with Britt and then like delivering a kick i think at least told us that she can deliver moves in the ring is it to the point where she could take bumps is it to the point where she can you know have a full on match that is still unclear. Um, and I think maybe intentionally vague. Um, you I also mean, don't, I, I left this segment pretty clear that we're getting Baker and, and Soraya. And I think you have to do, you know, and it's like, I, I can't imagine you're not doing that match now. Um, don't you think, I think like, they could what, do what's it. the purpose of this angle? If you're not going to that match, well, you could still do something involving Soraya without actually having her physically like taking bumps in the match. You know, she could be like she could manage a team and then get involved in a spot afterwards. And and as long as she gets the big spot, like uh, to me, it's still vague because if it was if it was what you're saying, John, they would have explicitly said so. Right. And maybe that's them. I mean, he said she got she probably got bad information. Like, I I think like that's as much as they're flat out stating that Baker's wrong, that she's obviously ready to go. Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. But like they didn't explicitly say it. You know, so maybe they are still dragging it out a bit. And I got the sense, like, if it, if it felt rushed to, 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 to some people, they probably felt like they needed to make up for the lack of clarity last week. I felt they just, like, continued to make it kind of unclear this week. But, no, it was more answers than, than we had a week ago. And, and who knows? Like, what, what maybe there was a holdup in her getting cleared and they didn't want to deliver an answer last week. I don't know. But um, I thought this was a positive week, though, overall for, for the women. Shivani was, was with Arush, Private Party, and Jose, no Andrade, and Jose blames Private Party for not helping them last Friday. Roosh tells them to do the right thing tonight or they'll take them to court, and they know Matt Hardy has been tampering. Yes, yes, the whole contract tampering stuff, yeah. Apparently, this has all been playing out on, on BTE to like a, a greater extent, so great. Like, okay. if, you know... I hope you. I hope the people who've been watching BT are are getting a lot more out of this than I have. Next was National Scissoring Day with the acclaimed coming out. Dude, this act is so incredibly 
over. They came out, this place, like this audience came to see this segment, whatever the hell National Scissoring Day was, the amount of cardboard cutouts of scissors in the crowd. Do you know the the work involved and then lugging that thing on the subway, getting this into your seat just to hold these scissors up? I mean, this act is so popular. I've, uh, yeah, I'm using scissors to cut scissors. I've never done that. You know, talk about, uh. I don't know, layers here. Max raps about home loans and being homegrown. Joe Biden, the place just goes nuts. I mean, it doesn't even matter what he says at this point. As long as it is a semblance of a rhyme and maybe a local reference, whatever. Just just talk. Just talk. Because we want to get to the scissor. Toronto. Yeah. So um, my question to you, Wade, do you expect the uh, the Scissor Me Daddy song to break out in Brooklyn during the DX segment on Monday. Ooh, okay. When Billy's not there. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to say no. I feel like there's, you know, for as much as I think like we, like people watch both shows, I, I get the sense. Like if you're, if you're a WWE fan, like there's a, there are a lot of WWE fans who aren't paying attention to AEW. And cause I, yeah. I think if there, if there's one like AEW, like chant or something to, be brought up like that's the segment and that's the chant if they made a reference to billy or like you know the missing member of of the group yeah you might get like you know some 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 of that perhaps yeah i I wonder how fast paul levesque would be on his feet if 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 they uh if they just broke out and i believe they will make reference i mean it's it's part of the dx thing to kind of like you know make those jokes right like the scissor me daddy and he can go yeah and half their roster is from our cuts <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you respond if they like break out into that that that, that song. I mean, it would be pretty. They they were. I think they would definitely call it out. But it, it, that segment is interesting. Like with no Billy there, and you have just such the, a popular um, gimmick Act. right now. Ch- mm-hmm. Chant, yeah, for for that is Billy Gun related right now, and this is a crowd. Probably a fair amount of them just went to. Arthur Ashe Stadium on on top of it. So it'll be an interesting segment if if it's called out. They mentioned they have the number one selling shirt this year and they brought home gold. And now AEW stands for acclaimed every Wednesday. Their merchandise line is just just print money as they're just coming up with these ideas that they're they they should make a a acclaimed every Wednesday shirt after this. Bowen's notes. They should make real scissors. I don't know if you want to be selling those at wrestling shows. Oh, that really? Why the, not? Yeah. Um, that didn't go so well for WCW in the early yeah. 90s. Uh, maybe Arn can sell them. Well, there you go. That was uh, way too. <laughs> Bowens knows a thing or two about scissoring. Babe Ruth was the Sultan of SWAT. He is the Sultan of Scissor. And says that scissoring is a handshake, a sign of friendship of a true team and people want to be represented. <laughs> people want to be represented by a real team, not two people just thrown together like Keith Lee and sneaky swerve, which was a hilarious line given that these two were literally thrown together with Tony Khan's idea yeah. and talk about a home run idea of, you know, I'm sure Tony Khan did not envision this being the end game, but no. I mean, this, this was his idea that these two would work together as a team and it's, one of uh, you could argue the most successful AEW created act that they have um, cultivated. 
Yeah, I'm trying to have to, you know, I'm going to have to think back um, for that. But as far as like, you know, two people that were relative unknowns um, getting into the company and certainly non-existent as a tag team to the point where they are right now, I, I definitely think that they're, you know, among the, the top. Billy Gunn then gets up to the podium and he went to City Hall and he presents the acclaimed with, I guess, the scissors to the city instead of the key to the city. Mm-hmm. And this got a big pop when they revealed the scissors that were wrapped up. Tony Schiavone loved this. He was having so much fun during this segment. And then Max Caster, like in mass, when it's time to uh, shake hands, says, turn to your left, turn to your right and scissor your neighbor. <laughs> the people are doing it. They've got crowd shots of people scissoring. And then Max Caster ends by saying he wants to talk about greatness and says how Washington won the Super Bowl 40 years ago. And it means a lot because my dad was on that championship team. The Super Bowl was his uh, Super Bowl ring is his prized possession and compares it to them winning the tag titles. There's no left, no right, no blue or red. They are the people's choice and the people's voice and wants to have the first ever bipartisan scissor to unite this country. Involving the two of them and Billy Gunn, who I took from this, like their assumption that Billy Gunn is Republican. That that was my takeaway from this. Uh, I, well, we do we know how the other two vote? I mean, I mean, the guy's name is literally Gunn, so I just I'm making a <laughs> grand assumption, uh, I guess. Okay. And he's in Florida, so I mean, uh, the odds are very much stacked, I guess, in that favor. But the first ever, can I just say as well? This segment could have totally bombed, okay? Oh, yeah. Like, this oh, yeah. could have been a total disaster, especially yep. on an AEW show where they do not do segments like this, especially for this length of time. But mm-hmm. goddamn, are these three so over. And th- this crowd, I'm sure this was th- maybe the highlight segment of the whole night for them. For uh, Oh, for for Washington, you mean? For people that were there uh, live. Like, yeah. this was the kind of segment that we, we talked about, especially in, like, the first few years of AEW like being in a crowd like this like they just seemed like they were having the time of their life it was so uh this these three were so over mm-hmm. and again like it's just it feels like this is a new age version of DX and I just can't yeah. fathom that Billy Gunn has found himself on top of another potential like merchandise gold mine with the scissoring now uh he is a man of, of many um phases in his career okay between the smoking guns to to DX to Billy and Chuck to he's made, he's made up show for guns Billy. yeah the show guns the yeah. show guns the one <laughs> yeah no the man has had uh, are we forgetting the voodoo kin mafia okay oh, everybody Christ, the man has had, had way more misses than hits but the two <laughs> hits should be a retirement nest egg that he never has to worry about in in the future um, very true anyway. very true so. The bipartisan scissoring is interrupted by Swerve, who comes out and says, now children of another generation can get suspended, just like they did with DX, which was great. He says that the belt should be on Billy's shoulders because he's the reason they won. And this leads to the challenge that is accepted for Toronto to get Swerve versus Billy Gunn next week. Mm -hmm. And... He threatens them that if you try to scissor me, he pulls out a rock because every time rock beats scissor. Yeah, he's actually used this line before, like in a backstage thing, but I thought it was. It was a good line used, the last used, time he used it. And this, yeah. you now have the visual aid. Yeah, he brought out a rock, which was actually a really round rock, you know, where, wherever he found it. It almost 
He must yeah. have gone by like a waterfront or something. You don't just find a rock like that at the side of the road. He's a beautiful rock. Absolutely. <laughs> then Mark Sterling comes out and he's got like, I, I imagine the, the petition, this stupid petition uh, yeah. that he was trying to get Swerve kicked out of that at least reminded me for my worst of picks at the end of the year that this was an angle this year. <laughs> Because I, I hated he, this stupid p- petition. Right. He also like always carries a clipboard, does he not? Like, is that just not his thing? Um, I I don't know. I I, I, I don't know so, either. But he had a great does. line here too. Paper always beats rock. He, he Isn't was that wonderful. Right. It was a good line. He says the acclaim needs Sterling. He wants to represent them, and he wants them to scissor him. And they just beat the shit out of Sterling. Gunn accepts the challenge. And then the three scissor for the closing pop on a segment that had no right to be as entertaining as it was for like, Mm -hmm. this felt like 15 minutes of television time. I can't remember such a lengthy um, segment here that did not involve wrestling. Yeah. You know, um, this segment possibly tanking, um, I I think – you know, you, you're you're absolutely right to to suggest because segments like these on wrestling shows tend to go two ways. Okay, you can get um, Lashley sisters, or you can get Bailey and Alexa's. This is your life. Yeah, more often than not, they're terrible. Or you can get you know uh, the Rock and and Saw Connection. This is your life. Like you can get gold, and this was thankfully more um, the latter. I, I thought it delivered way over expectations. First of all, let's talk about Anthony Bowens. You know, I know him as kind of like the, I, I hate to, to use the term Marty, Marty or Sean, like especially with this group where I think both of them are pulling their weight. But of the two, his star felt a little bit lower, or at least he felt like the guy who was more in charge of the wrestling and not as much of the speaking. This guy got behind that podium today and commanded this room. I had no idea he could speak this well with, you know, in a professional wrestling setting. He sounded spectacular. And, like, I got, like, real glimpses of, like, you know, future main eventer as a solo act just from him here. And then you have Max Caster, who I thought delivered a hell of a speech, you know, injecting, first of all, a ton of his real-life sentiment with his father winning a Super Bowl in this city uh, into it. And then all this stuff about like politics. I mean, yes, yeah, so, you know, taking wonderful advantage of of, um, of 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 being in Washington, of course. But then, like, I thought there was some brilliance here. No left, no no right, no red, no blue. We all wear pink, which is a combination of red and blue. Isn't that brilliant, John? Yeah, this was taking like um, some of Cody promos to a deeper level. I, I thought done way better. You know, somehow these guys turn scissoring into something far more metaphorical and impactful than some silly sexual innuendo. Oh my God. And then you had swerve. Okay. Coming out here at the perfect opportunity, killing it with an excellent heel promo. I think the best, the most heelish we've seen swerve in AEW up until this point. And I think the most comfortable we've seen him as a performer on the microphone in AEW up until this point, super fluid heel delivery, incredible snarl on his face every close-up of swerve i thought was was just awesome content wise like i'm excited to see swerve versus billy gunn next week dude like it's it, this this whole this whole thing was great the promos were great um interruptions were great everybody elevated coming out of this yeah you get billy gunn next week in toronto and then he's doing greek town wrestling uh the next show as well wow 
Wow. I, I mean, the, the, all of a sudden, he's a yeah, hot guy's picking up his bookings, okay? He's yeah, on fire right now. Definitely. So Canada, Canada loves daddy ass. Then we had a Dark Order promo. So this, I don't know when they shot this, but this was the Dark Order cutting their promo for Friday's Rampage, with Friday being the second anniversary of Brody Lee's final match and the Death Triangle responding. So trio's title match on Friday's Rampage. Yeah, they must have shot this pretty pretty quickly. You know, like so you had Silver, John Silver doing like a pack impression, and he began the impression underneath B roll. So I thought it was actually Pack, and then they cut back to John Silver, and he's got this grin on his face, like doing a Pack impression. I thought it was so funny. See, I'm just taking notes so fast. I'm not even. Uh, I totally missed that that aspect. So I'm glad you picked that. Pack up. is doing double duty. He's doing week. both Rampage and Battle of the Belt, which are two separate shows that are like it's one hour after the other live in the same building. In the Nielsen ratings, they are considered two different shows, but they'll be back to back. Like it's one show. Yeah. Shivani was with Madison Rain and Sky Blue, and Ty and Anna J enter, making fun of Madison Rain as a wrestling coach, said, you guys need a sports entertainment coach, or telling Sky Blue she needs a sports entertainment coach to work on her charisma, which Blue says, well, you need a wrestling coach to work on your wrestling. So we're going to have a match on Rampage between uh, the woman with no charisma with the wrestling coach against the two women who can't wrestle, according to this setup. Well. Who sucks more? (laughs) Uh, I, I I don't really have much interest, unfortunately. It's it's a it it feels like a match fit for Rampage at this point. Roosh and Hangman Page, um, MJF is shown in the back with his poker chip. Um, they, they they had a good match here. Page caught Roosh with a DVD a jackknife cover out of the corner. Jose was constantly grabbing at the leg of Page. He kicked him off, the, but the buckshot gets blocked, and Roosh hits a cross-arm pile driver, and Roosh busted open his, no, his nose here, goes for the bull, bull's horns, but it's cut off with a lariat, and then he quickly hops over, buckshot lariat, and wins in nine minutes and five seconds. So a, a television win for Page. They're really hyping his title matchup for two weeks for the Tuesday Dynamite, so it will be a rekindling of the AEW versus NXT war for one night only uh, in two weeks on the Tuesday. And on NXT, what they're doing as one of the counters is a pick-your-poison match with Roxanne Perez and Cora Jade where they can pick the other's opponent and they've stated you can pick anyone in WWE. So I would imagine we're going to get some main roster matches with Hmm. the two women on that Tuesday. And I would guess NXT is going to beef up that show on, on Tuesday going against Dynamite. Exciting. Cool. A one night return to uh, this. Maybe NXT should call it the marathon. Hmm. It's back in session. Okay. I don't know if you really want to call it that, though, because I, I don't think ratings will reflect too poor, uh, too well on, no, on no, NXT I, the next I, night. I think, I think Dynamite's run will continue even on that Tuesday and moving yeah. nights. Yeah. Yeah. Good match here between Rush and, and Hangman. I mean, um, I, I enjoyed it. Didn't really have a whole lot to say about it, though. Like in terms of storyline, it's you know really just a build up for for Page. Um, what do you see Rush's kind of role here? You know, now that he's a full time guy, like do you see him beyond much beyond this sort of thing, getting a championship contender ready? Well, I guess TBA based on his his partner's status, I guess right. for for the time being. So. Hmm. I don't know. Roosh is one of those names where, and um, we, we, we skipped over it in the news, but um, it, it's been reported that Bandito has now signed a full-time contract with AEW. And I understand your reluctance, Wade. Like, I think it's a, it's a great signing, but I also feel like he had this 
unbelievable performance last week. And I don't want to wait like three or four weeks before we see Bandito again. And everyone's like, look how fast that Jericho Bandito match. It feels like it was three weeks ago, by the way, wrestling moves so quickly that mm-hmm. people forget about that. That Like you have just a small window to build off of a performance like that, off of that momentum. I would have liked to have gotten Bandito announced that he was offered a contract and he is now signed just a follow-up yeah. like that tonight on your show is okay cool i remember this last week quick highlight pack and bandito is now coming in full time and look out because he's coming to um you know to impress it'd be a contract signing segment i'd actually welcome on a wrestling show Private Party uh, surrounded the ring afterwards, so this prompts John Moxley to come out. Giant chant erupts for Moxley, and Moxley gets into the ring, clearing it from Private Party, and he tells Hangman he's been waiting for this for three years. He's been studying him, and between them, they've beaten just about everyone except each other. He's going to be the last man standing October 18th in his home arena at the Heritage Bank Center in Cincinnati. I'm going to break your face and choke you until you turn blue because you're in my way to being the true top guy and the best in the world and i have all the respect for your talents but when the bell rings i don't have any goddamn respect for anything and pay uh moxley was also the recipient of the shit sensor uh that was administered here by uh, tbs no this will teach everyone not to say shit because the the sensor it's so goofy sounding i'm i have to imagine like they probably clear it and and at least tell them, hey, I'm going to say this. It would sound like, so much better if it was beeped. Agreed. Rather than yeah. the weird changing of the crowd sound. And the it just sounds noise, like something's yeah. wrong with your TV. It has no impact. Censor them. Like, just do the beep. It sounds way more impactful to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Agreed. And then Paige came back saying, if you've waited so long, why are, why are you leaving? And Moxie just comes back, calls Hangman a sweet kid. I'm letting you off the hook, but this is your final warning. You watch your damn mouth, which was a hell of a line to just tell a guy, watch your damn mouth. And MJF is smiling in the back, clutching his uh, poker chip. But uh, mm-hmm. I thought Moxley was uh, this was a tremendous promo. Excellent. 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 I didn't realize that these, these two hadn't met before in ring. Yeah, it's a it's first a, time meeting. It's a first time meeting in wow. uh, Cincinnati. Shivani interviewed Willow. She's so excited about her win tonight that she's challenging Jade Cargill. The baddies enter, bringing up two prior defeats uh, by Willow at the hands of Jade, one of them in a tag match. And Willow says, no one can win forever. And what if you become 38-1 and one and I'm the one? And she said this with a straight face. God bless. Um, I don't think 38-1 yeah. is occurring on Friday. Yeah. I, I like Willow a whole lot, but I don't exactly know if can you beat me for a third time oh, is wait, a great justification for a title match. You hey, know? Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz, they did great <laughs> with that story. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like you need, she needed a bit more here. At least like pin, you know, pin um, Layla Gray or something. Like, you know, give, give me some reason. She did get the, the victory, I, I suppose, tonight. So I, Yeah, I they, they gave her the it. win. I mean, it's it, it's a title match on on Battle of the Belts, which this is kind of the, the level you expect of the build. Luchasaurus ran through Fuego Soul with the cutthroat in 26 seconds, and then they go to destroy Fuego some more when Jungle Boy runs down with a chair, and Cage holds Luchasaurus back. Jungle Boy says, you were my best friend, and then you broke my heart. So I'm going to break your fingers, your nose, your arm, and break you piece by piece until I break you. 
and Luchasaurus, you can pick the time and you can pick the place. Cage is the one that responds, stating, we told you not to come back and mentions that the match is not going to happen in this cesspool in front of these losers. Instead, it will take place next Wednesday in my hometown of Orangeville. No, next week, he's from Toronto, and this crowd, fuck Toronto, <laughs> boo, Canadian Hello. pricks, they get yeah. the match. Be a, quite the drive, you know, two and a half hours out just to have a match uh, between these two. Um, Yeah, no, I, this this program has really cooled down for me, you know, John, uh, over the past several weeks, and... um. I don't exactly know what it is. You know, is it the fact that it's been dragged on for a bit too long? Um, have they kind of run out of material at this point? Or is it just, um, I don't know, the dynamic not being so interesting? You know, we had Jungle Boy come out here and I think attempt to try uh, try to cut a pretty fiery promo. Um, it sounded okay, but like it sounded like a guy playing wrestler trying to cut a fiery promo. You know, it's still something I don't really buy yet from him. Maybe... Maybe someone's going to come out dressed as the Toronto Raptor next week. Oh, maybe that's how we just—that's how Jungle Boy should have returned. He's probably dancing next to Luchasaurus, and Luchasaurus is going to go kill the Raptor, and it turns out it's Jungle Boy. Uh, yeah. Well, then what about what about Christian coming out as a in blue? As a blue jay, dressed up like a hockey player, just like Dexter Loomis last week. He can be a goalie, I guess. I was suggesting a blue jay. Joke, oh, but, okay. oh, way better, way better, Blue Jay. It could be a Blue Dot Jay. <laughs> the Blue Dot Jay. Yeah, I don't know how many people are aware of that story, but yes, there was a time Vince McMahon wanted a blue dot over Christian's face. <laughs> Look at yeah. him. Rampage on Friday. Okay, here's a mouthful. Death Triangle and Dark Order for the Trios titles. Varsity Blondes against Nice and Josh Woods. Ty Mello and Anna Jay against Madison Rain and Sky Blue. And then John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta against Roosh and Private Party. Then we go to Battle of the Belts that has Jade Cargill and Willow Nightingale for the TBS title. FTR against the Gates of Agony for the t- ROH tag titles. And Pac versus Trent Beretta for the All-Atlantic title. I wonder if Pac is going to bookend the shows with a title defense Hmm. in the opener and a title defense in the main event of battle of the belts. But yeah, Hmm. this, this poor guy, he should be most upset uh, over this backstage brawl. He's got to do two matches and these are not going to be like nothing matches like a trios title match is going to be pretty significant. And then a singles match with Trent, like, yeah, pack is, uh, he is certainly going to pack on Friday Two pack. So many people are tuning out between you and I. when both of <laughs> us numbers, are firing them yeah. off. It's too much for people. Our live viewers are dropping by the second year. It, they're actually growing, I think. Uh, Dynamite in Toronto. Jericho Danielson, Jungle Boy Luchasaurus, and the main event, Swerve Strickland against Billy Gunn. Mm-hmm. Not the actual main event. But are you going to be scissoring next week, John? I will not be scissoring unless um, uh, I'm cutting out a coupon for uh, Uber to come home. I don't know. Cutting out a coupon for Uber. <laughs> Imagine giving an Uber driver a coupon. <laughs> Jericho and Sammy Guevara against Brian Danielson and Daniel Garcia. I thought this match was awesome. Um, yeah. They know Daniel Garcia is not coming out to the Jericho Appreciation Society video wall. Ooh. This turncoat. Yeah. Ian Riccoboni is on commentary, but as explained, Bobby Cruz is uh, mending. Uh, Jericho and Garcia shake hands at the beginning, so... 
a through line throughout this whole show, the shaking of hands. And then they begin the match. And Garcia is the one using a gator roll and then mounts Jericho's back, slaps the back of his head and is disrespecting Jericho. So they go to chops and then Guevara trips Garcia from the floor. We come back after the break. Guevara hits a one-man Spanish fly to Danielson off of the top. And then we get another stare down with Jericho and Garcia. And Garcia dives off the top. Garcia just turns and punches him in the face as he comes down and just dies. Uh, Jericho and Garcia go at it. There's a counter from the walls into the dragon tamer. And then Guevara super kicks them free. Guevara then hits a flying cutter, but is caught into a label lock. So Danielson applies one to Jericho. So we have dual label locks and then a big attack by Guevara. What, one still- was a crossface, I believe, like a regular, um, like a like a Benoit crossface. It looked like. Uh, that was, yeah, Garcia's. Um, then uh, you still suck chance at Guevara. This was as Guevara was really looking great, but the crowd was essentially saying, we're still not going to cheer you um, because we have been quick on our phones. Uh, Garcia blocks a GTH, and then Jericho catches Danielson, and he goes to put him through the table, but at first he drops him, and he just goes into the edge of the table first, mm-hmm. and then suplexes him through. That first one just looked like it sucked for Danielson going into the yeah. side. Um, Garcia's head was uh, sent sent back to Buffalo with a GTH, but Guevara doesn't go for the pin. He is being hit with chance of Idolo and goes for the shooting star press, lands on the knees, dragon tamer, and then that's broken with Jericho using the ROH title to nail him with a belt shot. And Aubrey is just there, and the referees are like, well, she was paying attention to the submission, but I mean, wh- whatever the Paul Turner thing was, it was like, dude, it's nothing. Like, like, the referees just like let this stuff go. So let, yeah. let's not pretend like it, we're doing anything here. It was this, you know, it was also Roosh using a cable to choke they, out Paige. They had a spot where Roosh is literally choking, uh, and, is choking Hangman with the cable, and the referee is just watching from the, as they're counting. And shit like that is fine in New Japan Pro Wrestling, where I've grown accustomed to like there being absolutely no rules when it's outside of the ring. But AEW has, I think, made a real effort, and they've stated as such that they're trying to crack down on like the. Poor refereeing, so they they need to get a handle on some some of this stuff. Especially sure. when you call it out and you've made it like a story now with Con yeah. calling. Where's Jim Ross to point this out? Yeah, on Fridays. So the belt shot nails Garcia, and Guevara gets the pin in fourteen twenty five. And this crowd was pissed that Guevara gets the pin, and uh, I'm sure that that probably legitimately upset some people. And the Jericho Appreciation Society comes out. Jericho is kind of looking despondent as he sees Garcia down. Um, it was very subtle, um, but Garcia is hanging his head. And then the, the JAS, they hoist up Sammy, ending the show. Really strong main event from an entering perspective. Um, I thought, uh, like, for, for sure, we were going to get some sort of shenanigans on the part of Garcia swerving on Brian. But this was... About as straight up of a wrestling match as you had, you know, with Garcia playing very much the same baby face, physically attacking his fellow JAS members. So um, whatever story they're telling, I mean, it could very well be straightforward. Garcia turning baby face or um, it could be a bit more elaborate. But tonight, you know, this was not there was no official confirmation that he was out of the, the group, but. Um, certainly tensions are higher now between, you know, Garcia and Jericho than they ever were. And um, I thought the storytelling elements between Jericho and Garcia were pretty strong. You know, anytime that they're in the ring together, uh, they were, you know, like, you know, there was, there was like a good deal of emotion or at least acting that was attempted in there. And I thought it was all pretty effective. Um, Garcia and Sammy looked really good together. 
in there as well. Um, their contrast of styles, I think, you know, works wonderfully. It was a really strong main event. I, th- I thought the main event was great. I, I thought, I thought, I thought it was the best match on the show, but MJF and, and, uh, Yuta had a really mm-hmm. great match. I thought Wardlow and Cage, that was great for yeah. what, what they were capable of putting together. Um, really like the women's match was yes. entertaining. Mm-hmm. Hangman, like it was just a solid win, like not the match of the show, but perfectly fine for what it was. Lethal and Darby. Um, and Luchasaurus was more just the angle with, with Jungle Boy. Like it, it was a very and good it, the episode. national scissoring day, John. That was an know? awesome segment. Yeah, that worked really well because of that crowd. Yeah, and because of the performances and, and the yeah, content but, of the promos too. Yeah, you know they were great too. I, I thought top to bottom, it was a very entertaining show. Like, you know, not, not any, um, bad segments, um, that I remember at this point. You know, I thought everything was like entertaining and, and built productively to the future. And, and again, it's too bad that that's not the headline coming out of this show. Nope. Nope. And that's, it's even further evidence of why you would be really disgruntled if you were someone busting your ass. And that is going to be the discussion coming out of this show is not anything that happened on screen and everything that happened off. Yeah, yeah. So we will open it up to super chats. You're always welcome to uh, chime in with your thoughts if you are live in the uh, in the YouTube chat, and we will also be going to the forum. Let's go to uh, super chat here from Hanzi, who sends seven dollars. Thank you as always for the support, Hanzi. Hanzi says MJF versus Yuta was my favorite match of the night. Old school tactics that got maximum reaction. MJF feels like such a big deal. He certainly does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um. Do you see like how often do you see an MJF wrestling, you know, once a year? Like, do you think he tries to keep the keep it to this uh, extent or is it better that he he does? He does. I I think there's definitely something. It it seems like there is this kind of balancing act you want that there is the complaint that Roman Reigns. I, I think with Roman Reigns, it's compounded now with the reduced schedule where he's literally not on the show. Uh, right. Quite a bit. I don't have a problem with him wrestling infrequently because it does make it a bigger deal when he does. I think with MJF, it's you can still keep it special, but he's a regular he's a regular appearance on the show. I mean, it's it's rare that a week goes by that he is not on the show uh, mm-hmm. unless he's, you know, on a sabbatical like he was earlier. Might be a lesson for, you know, everybody out there if you're a wrestler like he, he you can have a pretty long career or at least save your miles on your body. If you can talk as good as you can wrestle. And is he more valuable doing promos every week versus doing a wrestling match every week? I mean, Uh, I would say so. Storytelling ultimately is what we're here for. You're getting your value out of MJF just in a, a, in a different way that should hopefully maximize when, okay, there's an MJF match. It's, it should be treated as a a bigger deal because it's not commonplace. Mm Hmm. Let's now go to forum.postwrestling.com, which is our free message board for anybody who uh, wants to interact with fellow members of the post-wrestling community. But the feedback threads for all of our shows are exclusive to our Patreon members, uh, where you can post feedback for every show, including this coming Friday's SmackDown, Rampage, and Battle of the Belt shows. Let's go to Senior Crest. I'll start off, John. He says, I love AEW and I love this episode. AEW made me fall in love with wrestling again, and I'm just so happy they're around. Sammy sucks. Long live Roosh. Her niece from Long Island. John, you just came out with a great piece earlier today about it's probably too extreme to state AEW is at a crossroads. They surely want to put that to the test. 
On a positive note, Wardlow is finally out of tag team hell uh, for one night only, it seems, and had a great single showing. You know, I think I totally skipped over the the post-match there where it was um, the the attack by Gates of Agony, and then you had Samoa Joe and FTR running out to help out Wardlow, and that sets up FTR and the Gates of Agony. But definitely, uh, the point being, still keeping Samoa Joe linked to Wardlow in in the post-match. But yeah, I I skipped over that. Wardjo, yes. Uh, John, your hope of the Tales from the Territories not being a roundtable of wrestlers telling their stories and ribs. Well, I watched the Memphis episode, and it was 5% old videos, 95% of them talking about their memories. I mean, that's what the format is. It's kind of what I uh, expected it to be, which can be entertaining in its own light, but it's it's not my favorite thing for an hour of just, you know, telling old stories on the road, and you kind of just, you know, realize that, these wrestlers are, are probably taking a lot of liberties with their stories, which is it's what the format lends itself to. We get a Cody from Maine who says a really enjoyable show with clear cut directions for essentially everyone featured on the show, especially within the women's division. This was the type of focus for them that people have been clamoring for. The only real negative was yet again what went on behind the curtain, but the on screen delivered. Jay from Colorado. MJF Yuta was fantastic. As I expected, I would love to see an extended program. I'm glad to see Brian Cage back, but they have to cool it down with these factions. There's too many to keep track of. I'm glad they kept Soraya off commentary during the six-woman tag, but now I'm even more confused about her role in AEW. Is she a manager, a commissioner, a wrestler? So maybe it was vague way. The HFO AFO storyline is my least favorite thing in wrestling next to backstage altercations between wrestlers. I was listening to last week's review of the Rampage show and someone mentioned AEW being in small venues. I never noticed it until tonight. Besides a few angles, AEW really need, feels like it's cooled off a bit. Now that the WWE has become interesting again, I'm going to have to make some tough choices on Friday. It doesn't help that you guys got me hooked on F1 as well. Japanese Grand Prix this weekend. Yeah, what time? It's, it's at night, isn't it? Isn't it like Saturday night? Because it's from Japan? Um, I, think, I think it's like 1 a.m. or something, like late Saturday night, if I'm not mistaken. I I have no idea, John. It's it's honestly not honestly been so much harder to keep up with F1, like with with a baby at home. Like it's I just can't even wait. Like you know, wake up early enough for it. If I this might to, be so. in your wheelhouse, 1 a.m. Um, if it's happening at 1 a.m., um, sure, why it's not? Right after Extreme Rules. Oh, is that when it's ha- happening? Okay, well. Maybe I'm I'll, pretty sure it's I'll, I'll 1 a.m., it. if, if, yeah. but double check. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah you know, so, so Rhea, I, I think it, at this point is almost intentionally vague. Um, I, I, I do continue to wonder if they even have a clear-cut answer themselves or if they're just waiting for clearance or results. I don't, I don't know, John. But I feel like if they were going to explicitly say that she's wrestling, I feel like it would have been a bit more clear by by this point. But I don't know. Maybe they're still playing with our expectations. Um, the race is taking place at one a.m. You're right. Wow, interesting. It's very early. Are you like Are you keeping up with the standings and, and yeah. everything? Yeah. Um, Verstappen had like a really bad race last weekend. Like he could have clinched it. Um, yeah. I'm kind of hoping like he sputters a bit. I don't. I don't want him to like wrap it up. But he could. He could end it on Saturday. I mean, I feel like it's it's pretty clear right now. Yeah, and there's yeah. really not it's much. It's more contention. so just the, uh, the the fun of now just prolonging the inevitable. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly not what they had last year, but you know, no. then you have the the other you know races for like second and third and all that stuff that you can get into. All the drama now, I suppose, is in like you know seeing who's going to switch teams and who's coming in, who's leaving. Silly season. Silly season. Yeah. So. 
Anyway, uh, let's go up next to Muggin, who says, John had it right with this article about AEW being at a crossroads. Uh, big ups, by the by. As the Guevara Andre Fracas casted a shadow over this anniversary episode. Sammy being in the main event and winning the tag match made zero sense. Garcia didn't need to be the fall guy, and it did pour a little water on the Garcia-Jericho feud. War- well, first of all, John, like, was there another out if they wanted the outcome that they got into than Sammy pinning I, Garcia? I, am, I would imagine that there was a specific reason that they wanted Guevara to get that fall, and maybe mm-hmm. that informed their their belief of not sending him home. And, and, and this is all pure speculation, but if their thinking was, why do we, why does our main event and our plans have to suffer uh, because of this? Like you could have taken him out and put Jake Hager in, but that's, that's a far inferior match with Jake Hager in the Sammy Guevara role on on the show. And they opted not to do that. Hmm. Wardlow had his best TNT title match against Brian Cage, and they went full PWG. It tripped me out seeing him pull off the whisper in the wind. Yuta Friedman was strong. The scissoring day celebration was delightful. And Soraya got physical. Sort of. Word to Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Such a tone-deaf episode. Okay. Uh, Tone-deaf episode. Hmm. Benjamin writes, haven't watched the whole show yet. MJF and Yuta was great. I really enjoyed John's piece from earlier today. Jake Hager in the purple bucket hat was a great piece of extra nonsense. Sammy needs to stay off Twitter. And then we go to Jordan from the Bronx who says, it seems that whenever backstage drama at AEW comes to the forefront, the response from the company is putting on a great wrestling show. Tonight was no exception. The first hour of the show breezed by with great matches and story progression. The women's tag match was fun and a great TV win for Wardlow. Fans have been wanting her to have the all elite graphic for months now. It would be, or sorry, Willow, Willow. Fans have been wanting her to have the all elite graphic for months now. It would be fun if she got it after beating Jaden, winning the TBS title. Yeah, I don't really see that one happening. Um, I mean, my hope is that she has a great match with Jade and like maybe it's the type of performance that gets her uh, sort of like a consolation prize contract type of thing. But I don't even know what the status with Willow is. Like, are they saving? Is she a name that they're saving for Ring of Honor? You know, it, possibly. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that could be a possibility. I, I, I I'd say there's zero percent chance that she is winning this TBS title on Friday. He says, now to address the issue of Sammy, regardless of who started what, the crowd wanted nothing to do with him from beginning to end. Maybe Hager could have stepped in. I don't know, but it left a weird taste in my mouth seeing him get the pinfall and then left it up. Yes, the show has to go on, but perhaps change the actors when a situation escalates to real world violence. Maybe I'm off base here, but I found this to be a misstep on an overall great show. Hmm. I mean, by making the decision they did, it's... You know, to the public, it it does come off like this one person got sent home and the other not only didn't get sent home, but was, you know, the the featured, you know, prominent star at the end of the show, like on the like he's being carried out and he's, you know, and, you know, you can certainly look like I, I just go back to what was their handling back it all out. It was like everybody involved, no matter uh instigated didn't instigate even the ones just trying to break it up like everybody was sent home from that and for for this one i mean the the fact is like all the stuff on twitter like that did not lead to any punishment and to me like some of the tweets and stuff that they were sending back and forth to one another it's like i didn't think that was a great look for for either of them as well and you can you can go to andrade being the one that was the first one to initiate this thing by bringing up Guevara's name but it's it's hardly like Guevara responded in in the kind of fashion that you want your performers to be carrying themselves 
So, right. But is that punishable though? You know, like, I don't know if anything is specifically punishable until it gets physical. And again, without knowing some of the details and specifics of how things escalated to physicality, it's hard for us to say, like, who deserves what punishment. Going also to your point, John, you know, there might have been a specific storyline reason why they had to have Sammy pin him. Maybe they wanted to save Jericho pinning, pinning Garcia for a later time. Um, obviously, Brian, they didn't want to take, take it a pitfall. Um, I, and I, I do get that thinking. Like, Jericho should not be beating Garcia right now. Like, that is something you're going to continue, of course. So Guevara beating him. And you could argue, like, Hager or Menard or Parker in that spot. We're, we're not going in that direction with Garcia. Um, you know, and, and that might have just been the thinking. Hey, we've got our plans here. Andrade's not on our plans tonight. And Guevara is. And we're, we're doing this. So yeah. that might have been the thinking. Uh, I don't know. But at the same time, I'm I, I doubt we're we're going to get their their side of it and what they're thinking is because these things are are kept like they just don't comment on any of this stuff. So mm-hmm. you can't at the same time get upset when your audience speculates and draws their own conclusions when you're not willing to volunteer any of that information yourself to set the record straight. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think it's about PR management and and your you know discourse with with the audience in, in AEW I think when they started when they were quite transparent you know um there's certainly like, the, the next time Tony Khan does one of these media calls I think it'll be quite interesting any sort of media that Tony does after this we know he's uh ta- spoken to Ariel Hawani prior uh that interview just aired and I'll, you and I will be watching that I'm sure immediately after after this podcast um but um you know like is Tony doing going to do any interviews you know next week in in, in Toronto like it's his opportunity to kind of answer a lot of these questions that are on people's minds, you know, answering for whatever was going on with Soraya right now. Um, whatever happened backstage here, what's going on with punk, what's going on with the elite. I I, I mean, I understand not knowing, but I, I think, you know, to build and maintain that level of trust with the audience, I think he, it, it's kind of on him. Uh, I just want to acknowledge here, Rylan Turner for the $5 super chat. Thank you, Rylan. Uh, and he also wanted to know how we felt about Sammy going over personally. He thought it was ridiculous considering Andrade was sent home. Um, yeah. It seems like it's, it's a bit of a prevailing sentiment coming out of this show. A lot of people I mean, I look at it. It's like the, the choice was whether we send him home or not. Once he's there, it's like you're, you're booking him for the plans that you have. So I, I don't really have as big a, an issue with him uh, getting the pin at the end. Like I could see how that rubs people the wrong way. But to me, it's like the decision was he's on the show or he's off the show. Once you've made that decision that he's staying on, you're then use him for what you were going to use him for. You've already made the key decision that he's staying there. Uh, yeah. I think like, you know, demanding that somebody be taken off the show again, I don't exactly know why Andrade was taken off and Sammy wasn't, but I also don't think like Sammy Guevara sticking around and playing a fictitious role that required him to beat an opponent and being held up on, on, you know, on, on his teammate's shoulders. That to me doesn't add anything to make this worse. He's playing a role. You know, that was designed for him um, just as as a guy, a champion losing a match to a guy beating him for the championship would have been a role just as Bret Hart losing to Shawn Michaels would have been a role, you know, and to con- contrast it to back when that um, w- one of those talent meetings happened and we had Max Caster come out and reference it in the rap. And you remember it got zero reaction. No one reacted talent. to that line uh, right. about the talent meeting. 
tonight, it certainly felt like this audience, uh, they knew of the story. And this is a bit more sensational story than a talent yeah. meeting taking place. But it had also aud- taken place like even prior to the physical altercation. I think the incident had already been become public online. Right. You did have a couple of days for it to fester, but it it did feel like this audience, like they were up to speed on what had happened earlier and something like a big TMZ story. That's probably going to circulate a lot, a lot faster given it, given its reach on top of it. Okay. One last piece of feedback. We go to Chris in Ottawa. I was really enjoying the show and already forgetting the backstage horseshit. MJF and Yuta tore it down. National scissoring day was a huge success. I didn't even have the same negative reaction as John to the segment with sky blue and the Jericho appreciation society women. I thought it made sense that the sports entertainers emphasize charisma over wrestling ability, but then my pleasant evening took a turn and the guy no one wanted to see getting the pin in the main event wound up on top. I know Sammy and Ty invited you to their wedding but come on tony khan read the room oh well at least we have playoff baseball all right so yeah a lot of people were um yeah did not care for the booking of sammy guevara but um that that is a choice that that they were making and when you send home one and not the other um there is going to be added heat on the one that is staying there because you're the 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 public not knowing all the details of what happened they are going to assume that someone is being favored over the other but again we we don't know all the details uh, of the altercation but um you know TMZ is alleging that you know he shoved Andrade so i mean there was at least you know contact by 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 Sammy it hmm. um and the, the fact I, I go back to my original point that i just it never should have got to this point on on Wednesday when you knew that there was a um a premeditated uh, you know, threat almost about, you know, I'll see you on Wednesday. I mean, at that point you're stepping in and making sure it does not come to come to blows um, Mm. and any kind of physical altercation being possible. Yeah. 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 All those things you said, John, and all those things we discussed and and just, I'm not necessarily going to fault somebody for like not changing plans on the fly when you have, a show and, and how close written. it was to Showtime. I mean, Andrade's yeah. matches in 48 hours. It was not being, it wasn't like the Rampage tapings were tonight. Mm. Um, and that's a big question here is like, mm-hmm. if Rampage was tonight, would they have sacrificed those plans? Right. Uh, they might have gone ahead with that, but perhaps it's like, that's in two days. We have to take action. Maybe they are going to take action now that Sammy has done the match, mm-hmm. done the, we advertised a match. Granted, mm-hmm. they advertised Andrade too, but, um, you know, and I, I understand that. I do have that thought that listen, we you, you can you can place blame in different directions, but when it's an hour or two before showtime, um, you know, a promoter is typically going to stick to their plans and not blow up their their main event and and change it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and not saying that's the defense either, but that's you know looking at at that side of the thinking that might have went into it. Okay, thanks to everyone. This is a really packed show. A lot of uh, great discussions, I thought, on, on this show about all things AEW. MCU Later is back on Thursday night for Post Wrestling Cafe members. And then Way and I will be separate on Friday with Rewind to SmackDown with Way and Kate going live at midnight Eastern right after Battle of the Belts 4. And then myself and John Ceno, we will be doing a show for Post Wrestling Cafe members covering Bound for Glory but fear not, Way and I will reunite Saturday night after Extreme Rules uh, from Philadelphia. Just more, 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 more wrestling coming your way. Um, so there you go. The the unofficial uh, F1 pre-show is our Extreme Rules post-show. So Man, you can look wow. forward to that. We'll be live uh, free for everyone at YouTube.com slash post-wrestling minutes after Extreme Rules goes off the air. Do you have a prediction? What is going to close the show at Extreme Rules? 
okay. So what I think the there's branches? a lot of candidates. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ronda live. Uh, the I, I could, match. Yeah, I, I could see a total change, you know, happening for that. Um, what else we got here? Uh, I was Bianca. asking about the, I, the I quit match with Edge and Balor. Could you see that closing the show? Oh, oh, um, yes. I I think. Um, what do we got here with uh, Bianca and and uh, Bailey? Actually, the I could, match. I, the I could match. see that because I think of all the stuff surrounding the you know Bray Wyatt. Um, if if it was if if Bray Wyatt was to interrupt any match, it'd probably be that one with with Alexa Bliss in there as well. Um, that's the and that's probably the. the, the the angle to go off the air with. I don't think you want to go to a match after if you introduce Bray. Uh, like right. that's that's how you close the show, probably. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. So I mean that that to me is the most the, the most interesting thing heading into Extreme Rules is is the whole white rabbit stuff. All right, that's it. Thank you for tuning in to Rewinded Dynamite. We will speak with you many many times over the coming days. Postwrestling.com. Go check it out and subscribe at YouTube.com/slash Postwrestling. Good night.